Hello and welcome to the latest Stevenson Harwood Employment Law Podcast. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the whole series on iTunes, Stitcher and Soundcloud or by visiting our website at www.shlegal.com. My name is Richard Friedman and I'm a Senior Associate in Stevenson Harwood's International Employment Team. In this podcast, we're going to look at the Senior Managers and Certification Regime, which is being rolled out to all FCA authorised firms on the 9th of December 2019. We're also going to look at what this means for employers who are regulated by the FCA, the steps they should be taking to prepare for the rollout, and look at some practical issues that could arise during an employee's employment. We're also going to touch on the regulatory reference regime, which will be rolled out more widely. To discuss these issues, I have with me Parvis Ghani, an employment partner who frequently advises clients in the financial services sector. Thanks, Richard, and um, good to join you and to be able to share some key guidance on this topic. The Senior Managers and Certification Regime came into force for banks and PRA-designated investment firms on the 7th of September 2016. It was then extended to insurers and reinsurers from December 2018, and from the 9th of December this year, it will be rolled out across the entire financial services sector and applied to all regulated financial firms and thereby replacing the current approved persons regime. We're helping a lot of clients get ready for this extension and part of our advice involves advising on the various elements of the regime. As a starting point, Paris, can you briefly explain the different elements and tiers of the regime? So the FCA has tailored the application of the regime to take account of the different types and sizes of firm which will now be subject to the regime. So the regime is divided into three tiers. Firstly, it's enhanced firms. So whether you're an enhanced firm will be determined by criteria relating to your size, complexity and potential impact on customers and the market in which you operate. So for example, this regime will apply to firms with total assets under management of £50 billion or more and mortgage lenders and administrators with 10,000 or more regulated mortgages. Now under this tier, firms will be subject to an enhanced set of requirements and this will be the most onerous within the regime. Now, secondly, core firms. Firms under this tier will be subject to a standard set of requirements, and most firms, I would say, will probably fall within this category. Now, finally, you have limited scope firms, which are subject to fewer requirements. So, for example, this will apply only to sole traders and firms whose permission is limited to certain credit activities. Thanks, Parvis. It's beyond the scope of this podcast to go through all of these tiers, but we will mostly run through the set of SMCR requirements that enhanced and core firms or individuals will need to fulfil. The core regime is made up of three elements, the senior manager regime, the certification regime and the conduct rules. The senior manager regime for core firms applies to individuals performing up to six senior manager functions with six prescribed responsibilities to be allocated. For enhanced firms, there are up to 17 senior manager functions and 13 prescribed responsibilities to be allocated. Senior manager functions for core firms are chairperson, CEO, executive director, partner, compliance oversight function, money laundering reporting officer and limited scope function, which is essentially the person who deals with the apportionment of responsibilities. This is currently called apportionment and oversight function under the current approved persons regime. The employing firm is required to assign these senior manager functions to individual senior managers who will be responsible for the functions. Importantly, there are also a limited number of non-executive directors for enhanced firms who will also fall within the scope of the senior manager regime. Parvis, how should firms record the assignment of the senior manager functions? So enhanced firms are required to record the allocation of senior management functions in an aptly named management responsibilities map. 
There is no prescribed form of responsibilities map, so it can simply be a list of the functions with the relevant senior manager's name uh, next to them. However, the map should also describe the firm's governance and management arrangement. Now, senior managers are personally accountable and personally responsible for the performance of their SMF function or senior management function, and the FCA or the PRA can take action against the individuals in relation to any contraventions of regulatory requirements which relate to the activities for which they are responsible. In addition to the responsibilities map, all senior managers, no matter what tier the firm falls within, are required to have a statement of responsibilities, which sets out their senior manager functions and their prescribed responsibilities. A statement must be submitted to the regulators when a firm applies to the FCA to approve a senior manager. They must keep the statement up to date and resubmit upon a significant change to any responsibilities. The FCA will have regard to the statement of responsibilities when determining if there has been a regulatory breach. Unlike the responsibilities map, there is a template that must be used for a statement of responsibilities. A duty of responsibility will apply to all senior managers. If a firm breaches a regulatory requirement, the senior manager with responsibility for that area could be held to account if they fail to take reasonable steps to prevent the breach. Finally, firms should ensure they have policies or procedures in place to deal with a handover of senior manager functions, and we will talk in more detail about this a bit later. Moving on to the certification regime, can you explain the key elements of this level of the regime, Parvis? Yes, so the FCA has identified a list of certification functions and firms will need to ensure that anyone performing these uh, functions have been certified by their firm as being fit and proper to be appointed to the role. The list includes uh, those who have significant management functions or client dealing functions. Now, the obligation to assess fitness and propriety is on the employing firm. Importantly, this assessment must be revisited on an annual basis. So going forward... Firms will need to develop systems and processes and integrate the assessment of fitness and propriety into its existing HR and compliance systems. Now, we've seen quite a number of uh, banks uh, and clients incorporating this assessment as part of the annual appraisal process. In relation to the definition of fit and proper, there is no one single definition, but the FCA guidance does refer to factors which it should be judged in reference to. Under the FCA rules, fitness and propriety is judged by reference to a person's honesty and integrity, competence and capability and financial soundness. The PRA rules are different and instead detail that the person must have the personal characteristics, necessary level of competence, knowledge and experience and appropriate training and qualifications to enable the sound and prudent management of the firm. So Parvis, lastly, before we look at the practical aspects of this regime, what about the conduct rules? So the conduct rules apply to those individuals applied by the senior managers regime and the certification regime. They also apply to all employees at FCA-regulated firms other than ancillary staff, such as, for example, receptionists and security staff who perform a role that is not specific to the financial services offered. The conduct rules are a number of principles relating to the core standards that the regulators expect of individuals employed in regulated firms. There are two tiers of rules, uh, one applying to all employees and one applying just to senior managers. The first tier of rules focuses on ensuring the individuals act and cooperate with the regulators appropriately. The second tier focuses on the appropriate control and delegation of business which the individual is responsible for. Thanks, Parvis. That's a whistle-stop tour of the levels of the regime. Practically speaking, what can employers and HR, legal and compliance within firms, do to ensure compliance with the regime? Well, there are a number of steps employers should be doing if they're covered by this. Uh, Now, the first is ensuring that the contracts employment for the relevant employers appropriately uh, deal with the individual's responsibilities under the regime. I know this is something, Richard, you've looked at and you've had some experience on, so perhaps you want to just talk us through that. Absolutely. 
There are a number of aspects of the regime which should be dealt with in the employment contract. Firstly, employers should make it clear that the commencement and ongoing employment is subject to and conditional upon, firstly, the obtaining and continuance of the necessary regulatory approval, and secondly, any vetting and checks that the employer may wish to undertake both prior to and on an annual basis to assist in establishing whether the individual is fit and proper under the certification regime. The contract should also provide that the individual's duties include compliance with the conduct rules and, in respect of individuals who fall under the senior manager's regime, their performance of the senior manager functions which are detailed in their statement of responsibilities and the firm's responsibilities map. There should also be a contractual obligation on the employee to report any breach of the conduct rules or their senior manager functions. The employer may also wish for the contract to expressly state that a breach with the conduct rules failure to be fit and proper and or failure to carry out senior manager functions could result in dismissal without notice, although the usual rules and laws in relation to unfair dismissal will apply. And finally, the contract should deal with handover obligations, which would certainly apply to enhanced firms under the senior manager regime, and it would be sensible to have a contractual obligation upon the employee to complete a handover certificate. The employer may also wish to make any outstanding deferred remuneration conditional upon satisfactory completion of that handover certificate. Parvis, moving on to during employment, what can employers do to ensure compliance with the regime? Well, uh, as you've noted, Richard, uh, checks on fitness and propriety should be conducted on an annual basis, so employers should ensure they do this. But in addition, some firms are requiring their senior managers to complete handover certificates as part of their annual appraisals to ensure that, at worst, the information needed for a handover certificate is only one year out of date. Of course, conducting training is also a simple but effective way of helping staff know and comply with their responsibilities. There is also the question of what firms should do when an issue arises. So in such circumstances, firms will need to consider whether the conduct rules or whether in fact a regulatory breach has taken place. Now such consideration may form part of a disciplinary investigation and process. Some firms, however, are distinguishing between the two processes having one disciplinary investigation and then a separate compliance investigation. Now, my view is that it's more appropriate to consider both issues as part of the same process, unless there are exceptional circumstances which make it very difficult to carry out the necessary compliance investigation as part of the disciplinary. And if there's been a regulatory issue which forms part of a disciplinary process, is there anything that employers should do differently compared to a normal process? Well, yes, a key consideration is if and when the regulator needs to be informed. The regulator must be notified when formal disciplinary action is taken in respect of a breach of the conduct rules. Crucially, disciplinary action in this context includes suspension. Accordingly, where firms usually suspend when conducting a a disciplinary process, where the individual falls within the scope of the conduct rules, this is a decision which must be very carefully considered as it will need to be reported to the regulator. So for senior managers, the notification must be made as soon as practicable and in any event within seven business days. For conduct rule staff, the notification must be made on an annual basis. And what about when the decision to terminate employment is taken? Clearly that will need to be notified to the regulator. But what else should employers be aware of? Well, a key consideration should be the FCA and PRA's regulatory reference regime, which will also be rolled out in December to the wider uh, financial services sector. Now, Under this regime, firms seeking to appoint a senior manager... Uh, an NED or a certified person must request a regulatory reference from the person's past employers. This may require changes to a firm's hiring processes. Senior manager will need to be made accountable for the firm's regulatory reference obligations, as this is one of the prescribed responsibilities. The key parts of the regulatory reference regime are as follows. 
Firms must request a reference covering the person's employment for the past six years. This applies even if the person's previous employers were not authorised firms. Number two, ideally, the reference should be obtained before an application for approval is made for a senior manager or before the person is certified in line with the certification regime. Number three, there are also requirements for authorised firms to provide references on request. So regulatory references should focus on regulatory matters only, such as issues relevant to fitness and propriety or confirmed misconduct. The regulators have provided a list of information that should be provided. Finally, regulatory references must be provided in a specific template, and there is an obligation to update regulatory references issued in the past six years if the firm becomes aware of information requiring the reference to be updated. That six-year time limit does not apply to any information relating to a serious matter or serious misconduct. And whilst the FCA has given some guidance on what is a serious matter, for example, it notes that dishonesty is an important factor when considering whether something is serious misconduct or not, it is still far from clear what this actually entails. However, employers cannot simply include anything and everything on such reference to ensure compliance with this regime. Doing so could result in the employee pursuing the firm for not giving a true, accurate and fair reference and could be subject to a negligence claim. Firms will therefore need to consider what information should be included in a reference on a case-by-case basis. Now importantly, if information comes to light which demonstrates that a previous reference was given which is incorrect, firm must contact the recipient of the reference and provide up-to-date information. Now one practical point arising from this regime is to ensure the wording in any settlement agreement is wide enough to allow the former employer to comply with its obligations under this regime, including having the ability to update the reference if further information comes to light. Another aspect uh, is a prohibition on settlement agreements deterring whistleblowing. Accordingly, such agreements should make it clear that the agreement doesn't prevent them from making a protected disclosure and should also not be a warranty under which the employee is asked to confirm that they've not made a protected disclosure and that they do not know of any information which could lead to them making a protected disclosure. Thanks, Parvis. It's clear that there are many matters, firms who will be brought within the scope of the senior managers and certification regime on 9th of December this year, should be aware of, and there are a number of practical steps they can take to protect themselves. As always, Stevenson Harwood's team can bring its experience in this field to help you with these issues. Thank you for listening, and don't forget that you can listen again and subscribe to the whole series on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud, or by visiting the Stevenson Harwood website. (laughs) 